Amen. You may be seated. Once again, thank you for being here today. It's always a pleasure to be with God's people and to present God's Word to you as I've been edified and, and uh, grown from the Word that I've been studying this week. I love to share with you. Uh, but the question we're posing today that's been posed in the series that we're going through, is Christianity too narrow? It's part of the Explore God series, and we're going to look at that for a moment today. And in a moment, we'll, we'll look through some various uh, exact scriptures to see what God's Word says on it. But before we begin doing that, it is good to kind of stand back before we look into the individual details of the scriptures and kind of see the Bible as one whole book. Is Christianity too narrow? Well, we, we see the whole story uh, that God spoke, God created, God created the world, God created man. And uh, he told the man, you know, if you partake of this one, one tree, then you will die. So he gave them the rules that they were to live by. They intentionally disobeyed. They rejected God. They rejected his rules. They tried to be autonomous. They tried to do what they wanted to do. And they turned away from God. So, so we see that we call it the fall. So God creates, man sins. Man is then cast out of the Garden of Eden. But even at that point, we see that they are they're unclothed, they are naked, they are before God, they're exposed. And God even sacrifices, he kills an animal and clothes them in that. And we see all of this, the whole Bible from the very, very beginning, pointing forward to one that would take our punishment for us. That, that one that would cover us with his innocence. So we see this from the very beginning. Even with the very first prophecy there in the book of Genesis. That, that speaks of Satan uh, uh, Satan being crushed. But Satan will bruise the heel of this one that is coming. The seed of a woman. And then the whole Bible builds on this story. Of the seed of a woman. This one that is to come. Later referred to as the Messiah. God's anointed one that would bring salvation back to God, the one that would take the punishment for our sins. We fast forward. uh, We see such instances like Moses, who's given the Ten Commandments, who's also given the the assignment on how to build a tabernacle that God would be worshipped in. They would have the Holy of Holies back in the back here, uh, a small area where the Ark of the Covenant would be kept, right? And then in front of that would be the holy place and the sacrificial system that was in front of there. And once a year, the high priest was allowed to make a sacrifice and he would bring the blood back through the curtain that divided these two rooms into the presence of God. The animal was sacrificed to cover their sins. So we see this played out. And then we look to the New Testament. We look to the book of like Hebrews that we went through a few months ago. And we see that in that, we, we see that all of that was pointing again forward to the Messiah, God's anointed one, who would be the high priest as Jesus becomes. He is the one that represents God's people to God. He is also the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb who takes away our sins, who takes the punishment for us. And so he is the high priest. He is the lamb. He is even the curtain we find out in the New Testament. He is the only one who is both God, representing God, and also man. So we see all of this taking place, all prophecies where God speaks to man and man then speaks about what is to happen in the future and also what the Messiah is to act like, be like, look like, where he's going to be born, how he is going to die. How can man know such a thing? How can a man say this is going to come true in 400, 500, 1,000 years? We can't. We don't have that ability. But God would use prophets. He would speak through them. They would speak the word and it would be recorded. So we have the Bible. We have the prophets that have recorded their prophecies here for us to read. And all this is pointing to this one that is coming, the Savior, the Messiah that God is going to send. Man is separated from God. 
We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But the Bible from the beginning to the end begins to tell us the story about how this will change, how this can change. But it can only change through God's method of salvation that he is bringing about. And all signs are pointing to this one that is to come. We get to the end of the New Testament, the book of Malachi, and we, we see that God speaks through him and lets him know that, that these things will, will, will come right before the Messiah. Right before the Messiah comes. When will the Messiah come? There will be a messenger a herald, a loudspeaker that will come right before the Messiah. And he will be like Elijah in the Old Testament. And then we see the 400 years of silence. Then we have the angel Gabriel showing up to Zechariah and Elizabeth and announcing that they will have the messenger. His name, of course, is John the Baptist. He comes dressed in, in, uh, in the same clothing that Elijah does, and he announces to everyone as Jesus comes down where uh, John is baptizing people. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. So we have the messenger that announces the Messiah. Uh, we have the angels announcing the Messiah is here. We have Gabriel that appears to, to uh, b- both Joseph and Mary. And all signs begin to point to that the Savior has come. It is, it is, it is a, the supernatural birth that, that we can't do that. No one on earth can do something like this. But Jesus is indeed born of a virgin. He is God. He is man. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. So it's the unfolding of this beautiful story where Jesus comes and he is not created. He has always been God the Son, but puts on flesh. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, lives a perfect sinless life that we could not live. Uh, even Adam failed and we all failed to please God. So we've sinned. We've been separated from God, but we need someone to represent us. So only Jesus can do this. He is God and man. He lives a perfect sinless life. He proves over and over that he is God. He can heal the blind. He can heal the deaf. He can make the dead rise again. He can walk on water. He can calm a storm. He can do anything because he's God. But he willingly lays his life down. He dies on the cross. And he takes the sin of all believers of all time on himself. He takes our punishment. He dies on the cross. And he takes our sin so that we can receive his righteousness. And God makes the way back to him through his son, Jesus Christ. Did it work? Yes. Three days later, Jesus rises from the dead. Later, he ascends into heaven. The book of Revelation, we see that Jesus is the final judge of all mankind. So when we look at the book as a whole, is Christianity too narrow? Uh, No. It is simply an explanation of God's method of salvation. Is that way narrow? Well, yes, it, it is narrow, but we can't do anything about that. We can't make the road wider or else it won't lead where God has, has, is wanting it to go, right? So Christianity is narrow, but we're going to look at today that, that God's method of salvation is narrow. It's not that we're being narrow-minded. It's that we're, clear, we're clarifying what the Scripture says when we say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. All right, so let's begin uh, looking at a few passages today. Some of these will be on the screen. Some of these I'll need you to look up. But we'll look at like Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 14 to begin. If you would like to look this one up, you certainly can. We're going to be in it for a moment today. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. It says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. 
For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Christians are always pressured to make the narrow gate to heaven broader. Unfortunately, many Christians do. Unfortunately, many churches do. And even pastors do as well. But God's word tells us right here, we can clearly see that the gate is narrow. So is Christianity too narrow? That's not really the question, right? The point is to see the narrow way that God has given us to heaven. And it's laid out here that there is going to be a narrow gate, but there is a very, very wide gate that leads to destruction, that leads to eternal separation from the blessings of God. We call that hell. The truth is the is this gate, this way, this narrowing is only as narrow as God has made it. It is not up to us to forge or to form or to stretch the gate out to encompass other beliefs. That wouldn't be right. Think about it. If God spoke, created everything, before that there was nothing. He sets the rules. He can set whatever rules he wants to set. He's given us his revealed word right here to let us know the way, to let us know how narrow the gate is. But yet his creation, we as humans all around the world often reject this gate and try to create our own way to God. But it is God. He has spoken. He's given us the way. The way is very narrow, but yet the way apart from him is extremely wide. Look at this. The gate is wide that leads to destruction and many find it. But the gate that leads to heaven, the gate that leads to life is very narrow and few find it. Uh, We don't make this gate. We just point people to the gate, right? I mean, look around the room today you, and look around the area. You would think how many people are in church versus how many people are not in church. I think it would easily be, uh, be calculable that there are far more people not in church this Sunday morning than are in church this Sunday morning, right? The, the way to destruction is extremely wide and it's extremely easy. In fact, you're born on that road because we have sinned. So we're born naturally on the road that leads to destruction, on this gate that leads to destruction, and it takes a divine intervention regeneration, belief in Jesus Christ is the one and only way to heaven, this faith in him that moves you to this narrow gate that leads to the narrow road that leads into heaven. So it's beautiful here as he lays it out that we can, we can rest in knowing that when people call us narrow, that we can realize that it's not me, Trey Talley, who is being narrow-minded, but it is a narrow path that God has given us to get to heaven, to get back to him. And we're simply speaking what that is. Uh, Turn with me to the book of John, chapter 14, and we'll begin at verse 1. But here we have Jesus preparing his disciples for his departure. His departure meaning his his death and his ascension into heaven. He had spent years with them. They were with each other all the time. They were best friends, you might think of, that he is also their teacher. He is also their mentor. They're realizing more and more who he is, that he is the Messiah. He is the Savior. And now he's telling them that he is about to go. He is about to go away. He's about to go back to the Father. He's going back to the presence of God the Father, back to heaven. So he's warning them that he is about to go. So we look here at John chapter 14, verse 1. I'll read through 6. Let not your hearts be troubled, he tells the disciples. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to myself. That 
where I am going, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? So here Thomas specifically asked, where are you going? And, and you're going somewhere. We want to go there. But how do we get there? Give us directions. What is the way? What path should we take? How do we get there? And look what he says. You've obviously heard this passage before if you've grown up in church much at all. But John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me powerful passage if you don't have this highlighted or marked in your bible please do so he so how do we get to heaven jesus is on his way back to the father he's on his way back to heaven how do we get there thomas says what is the path give us a a direction sign where do we go what do we do and jesus says you're looking at it i am the way this is the gospel this is the good news of god that he has provided the way but it's not in what we do we don't look out here we don't look in ourselves to find the way to heaven we don't go in a quiet place and contemplate and wonder how i can get there how i can get peace with god we know how it it is through jesus he is the only one he is the messiah he is the savior he is the ultimate lamb that was sacrificed for our sin he is the high priest that brings us to god he is god's one and only savior the only one that could die for our sins the only one who rose from the dead ascended into heaven and will be the final judge so in order to get through to heaven you must go through him so he says i am the way look closely at these little phrases here i am the way so what does this mean it means all other paths all other ways all other religions are not the way he is i am the way uh the truth the next part what does this mean all other ways All other beliefs are not true. We call that a lie. So he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. All other ways lead to death. Here he is not talking about just physical death, but eternal death, eternal separation from God. So Jesus is the way. All other ways are not. Jesus is the truth. All other ways are a lie. He is the life. He is the only way to gain eternal life. He has acquired that for us, for all those who trust in him, and there is no other way. No one, look at this last part, no one comes to the Father except through me. So how many people will actually get to heaven some other way hmm let's look back at that last passage how many it is no one i put not a zero zilch nobody all right there is absolutely no room here to nudge this gate out wider to to look at other religions to look at other beliefs to look at other systems maybe if i do this maybe if i do that maybe if i believe in this and this and this no none no one so not even one None. All right. Not a zero zilch, Uh, except through who? Except through me. This is the savior that God has provided and to reject God's savior that he has provided for us to get back to heaven is a rejection of God himself. So he is the only way back to the father. He is the only way back to heaven. It is through Jesus. Jesus is indeed the gospel. He is the good news Uh, without Jesus. People are on the wrong road. They believe a lie that is leading to death. And they certainly will not enter into heaven. Uh, The statement made... 
by the people who often ask, why is there only one way to God? You might have heard that before, and they'll say that on TV sometimes when you hear Christians being interviewed. They might say something like this, but why do you think you have the way right? Or why is, why is God so narrow? Or why is there only one way back to God? And when I hear that, I just, uh, part of me thinks that's absolutely ridiculous. We are so prideful as man that we think God has no right to say that this is the only way. That we in our little brains, our little four pounds of gray matter, uh, should be able to create our own ways back to God. And we lose our position. We forget that we are his creation and that God is eternal. God is God. And he has given us the way to heaven. So the question should not be, why is there only one way to heaven? But instead, it should be a statement, something to the effect of, wow, there is actually a way to God My mind is not amazed that there is only one way to God, but it is amazed that there is any way to God at all. God speaks. God creates. God gives the rules. We reject God. We break his rules. We sin every day. We go against his will. We, We... We are by nature objects of God's wrath because we're born with sin in us. He has every right, if you think about it, to fully exact his justice on every single human who has ever been born and to allow no one into heaven at all. Would that be the right thing? Could he do? He absolutely could do that. So it amazes me and amazes my mind even more that he has given us any way back to him. But this is the mercy that we receive through Jesus Christ. So the question is not, wow, why is there only one way? But wow, there's actually a way. And this was the good news, right? This is why we have the Gospels at the, at the beginning of the New Testament. The Gospels, the good news that God has delivered that there is salvation in his Savior. The Savior has come. The prophesied Messiah. The one that would be sacrificed for our sins. The one that would cover our sins has come. And his name is Jesus Christ. So look look with me where I believe we're nearby. Not too far away. Just turn back a few chapters. John chapter 10 verse 9. Just using a few verses here. We, we've kind of given you the whole story here at the beginning. Now we're looking through and seeing where Jesus and or disciples make a specific claim to the exclusivity of Jesus Christ being the way to heaven. Uh, Truth be known, the path to salvation is extremely narrow. You might even say that it's only about two feet wide. Uh, Look at John chapter 10, verse 9. Again, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So yes, the the way to heaven is extremely narrow. It is the size, you might say, of a, a human's shoulders because this is... Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the door. He presents himself here as. So he's saying if you want to enter in, if you want to go to heaven, there is no other way except through the door. And I am that door. I am the entrance into heaven. Uh, This was uh, portrayed beautifully one time when I was at a church uh, ministering there in in Illinois. We had arrived. I was there to speak. And and they were taking us on a tour of the church. And we went back to the children's area. And uh, a wealthy lady had died later. And they had, she'd given basically all of her money to the children's area of the church, more money than they knew what to do with. So they, they used it all decorating the area. They had people from Disney even come in to design things for them. And it was amazing to see all that was done in this area. Uh, but one specific room that I never will forget uh, was just a regular rectangular door frame to enter into a room. And in the room, it was kind of depict a depiction of heaven as best as an artist could pretend or try to imagine what it might look like in heaven, which, which was nice and it was pretty. Uh, but, but then you walk out and you see that to get into that classroom, there's a regular doorway. But on the out, 
side of the doorway, just the, just the small little parts on the outside, you could see the uh, edges of the cross and you could see Jesus' hands. And at the top of the doorway, you could see the, the crown of his head. And you could see the, the crown of thorns there on top of his head. And at the bottom, you could depict uh, the side of his foot coming out. And what, what the artist had done is he had taken this verse, right? And he had made an illustration for the children to be able to understand. And above the picture there and above the doorway, it was a quote, this quote from Jesus saying, I am the door. And so the kids would learn to get into the classroom or to get into heaven. They had to go through Jesus in order to get in. That was probably 15 years ago I saw that. But it sticks in my head still today. And we should never forget the entrance to heaven, the entrance to back to the Father, back to God is very narrow. And is the size of one man's shoulders. It is the size of Jesus Christ. He is the door back to heaven. First uh, Timothy 2.5. You don't have to look this one up today, but if you'd like to, you certainly can. It says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. Here again, we have exclusively that Jesus is the only way back to God. The, the verse says here, there is one God. We don't believe in many gods. There is one single God. There is one mediator. What does this word mediator mean? It means a go-between. It, it, the same word we get the word middle from, okay? So he is, the, he is the mediator. He is the one that brings us back to God. Jesus is God. He is also man. Who else is like that? Raise your hand if you're half God and half man, you know? No one is, no one is God and man. No one is all God. No one is all man except for Jesus the Christ. So we have this one mediator that is between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Adam was our first representative. He was made without sin, yet he sinned. Jesus is our perfect representative. He brings us back to God. Who else is like this? There's one God. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. All right. So this presents us with a cultural kind of a cultural dilemma that we are in today. Uh, we have a problem often, you might say, in our culture with the problem of truth. Truth used to be highly desired. It was sought after. But we are in the age of postmodernism where truth is all considered to be relative and what you believe is good and what I believe is good and it's not right, it's not wrong, it's just all different beliefs and there is no absolute truth anymore. This is very common in our culture. So when you have a truth statement, as we're looking at here with Christianity, it, it oftentimes people get very, very upset about this. Uh, true, but we have to realize that truth, by its very nature, is exclusive, all right? One plus one is what? Two. two. Good job. Genius on the front row, all right? All right, so one plus one is always going to be two. Uh, two plus two would be? Genius. There you go. Four. Nice job, all right? So we have four there, all right? So so why, how do we know this to be? Why can't we say some other number? No one did, but why couldn't you say two plus two is five or two plus two is seven and believe that with all of your heart? Well, today's society, you almost could. It would be like whatever you want to believe is absolutely fine, and who am I to judge you with your opinion? If that's your opinion, this is my opinion that two plus two is four, but, but if you want to believe it's five or seven or one plus one is three, then, then so be it. Who am I to speak against that? And truth is just weird thing that can't be found anymore that's what postmodernism is but everyone believe whatever you want to believe and all beliefs are valid and just believe whatever you want to and everything will be fine all right this is not what the bible is saying at all 
when we read God's word, it is extremely clear. It is, it is as one plus one equals two. Heaven, Jesus, God's only Savior, the one mediator, the way, the truth, and the life, the one Savior, the one Lamb, the one priest, the only way back to God is through Jesus. So when we say one plus one is two, or when we say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, are we being somehow wrong? No, this is truth. And if we said anything else but that, we would not be presenting the truth. We must not let the culture change the Bible. Instead, we must constantly proclaim the Bible in order to change the culture. I want to read that one more time. Think about that for a moment. We must not let the culture change the Bible. Instead, we must constantly proclaim the Bible in order to change the culture. Since the Bible is the revealed word of God to man, since he has only given us one way to heaven, and then we, then we are bound to see that every belief that opposes it is incorrect and false. Uh, we are called upon to let people know that one plus one is not three, that one plus one is always two, and the way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. This can and often does get people mad. Uh, is that okay? Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, what about Jesus? Did people get mad at him when he proclaimed to be the way? Yeah, they crucified him. What about his followers? What about his disciples that went on to proclaim that as well? What happened to them? Well, they were martyred, right? They were killed as well for proclaiming this message. This message uh, when people don't want to believe that one plus one is one, that Jesus is the only two, they, they don't want to believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, they can get upset. So what are we supposed to do? Should we alter, should we change this message somehow to make it more inclusive, not exclusive, to make sure that everyone is happy and that all religions are can can feel like they're on their way to heaven friends that have no religion deny god totally what if we just broaden the doors and create whatever we want to and say hey don't worry about it whatever you believe is fine whatever i believe is absolutely fine it all works in the end could we as christians do something like that and still represent the word of god no we would be living we would be proclaiming an absolute lie we would be going against the word of god to proclaim now you could grow a church very big, very quickly by proclaiming such a message. But then you have to decide, is this actually a church? You know, if your message gets so watered down that all are included, no matter what they believe, is that even a church any longer? Or is it just a gathering of big people? We'll look more into that in just a few moments as well. Uh, but can we change the message? Absolutely not. We looked at this a few months ago, Galatians chapter 1, 9 through 10. We, I've, I've come back to this passage quite often, but Paul was there with the Galatians who had begun to change the gospel. He presented the gospel, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Died on the cross for the, our sins. All who believe in him, trust in him, shall be saved. He, he died. He rose again from the heaven. will be the final judge over all men. He presented this gospel to them. They believed in it. They were saved by it. Then someone else comes along. They begin to change the gospel. Here he says in Galatians 9 and 10. As we have said before. So now I say again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received. Let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or, or am I trying to please man? What is his point? The point is that man, the culture, the world always wants us to broaden the gate, 
to preach a different gospel. That is so narrow. How can you be so narrow-minded? And the culture is always for us to proclaim something a little bit wider, more inclusive, stretch the gate out here a little bit to include more people. And in the end, what you do is you change the gospel. And now it's not the gospel. Romans 1.16 says the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. So that gospel, though, that good news is a set message. We covered this a while back. It is all about Jesus. Now, if we change the gospel to something else that's not about Jesus, then it's not the gospel that leads to salvation. It is no longer the narrow road. And if you proclaim that, as they were doing here in the book of Galatians, he says that's not the gospel. You're doing this to please man. You can change the gospel, but... It's not the gospel anymore. It's not the gospel that can save. And the pressure to please man or to please God. This is the question that we're trying. Or what are we trying to do as a church? What are you trying to do individually? What are you trying to do with the gospel? Are we trying to please with our message God or man? And what are we trying to, to accomplish amongst our fellow man? Is it salvation or is it deception? Do you want your friends? Do you want your family? Do you want your neighbors to enter into heaven? than it is through Jesus Christ. And if we don't proclaim this message, if we say, well, it's okay, you believe what you want to, I believe what I want to, it's all fine, that's pure deception. It is a lie that they could live thinking they're at peace with God when we know absolutely they're not. A Christian is often pegged as narrow-minded. However, it is not that we are narrow-minded, but the Word of God presents salvation as very narrow. And that is the truth that we are called upon to proclaim. How does the Bible say a person gets to heaven? A simple question. Would we today be able to say that it is through Jesus and Jesus Christ alone? Would you be able to say that in a crowded room with 50 different religions represented when you were called upon? Can you tell us quickly what you believe as a Christian? Would you be able to say that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life? No one gets to heaven except through him. This is what we are called upon to proclaim. So you can see that people would be infuriated, but you are presenting the truth to them. Uh, the world says, how can you say such a thing? But we as Christians have to ask, how can I not say such a thing? Because it is true. Should Christians be more open? Should Christians be more tolerant? Uh, tolerance does not mean approval. And this is something that we need to begin to understand more and more in today's time, in today's culture, where the culture seems to be winning the battle and uh, becoming more and more sinful. Not only is the, the sin being approved of, but the sin is being applauded and lifted up and that everyone should tolerate, not only tolerate, but approve of and glorify this sin. Uh, should Christians be more open and tolerant? Tolerance does not mean approval, but that is what we are constantly pressured to do. The world despises truth. Uh, we see this, that Jesus even warns us. If we go around proclaiming the gospel, is everyone going to love us and, and love what we do and just think highly of you? Will you be the most popular person at your school if you're presenting the gospel? Will you be the most popular person at your workplace, in your neighborhood, amongst your family members, if you're, you're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ as the one and only way to heaven? You know, odds are not. And we're going to find in our culture, the more and more that we proclaim the narrow way and the world is saying, no, 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 the way is wide. We're going to find ourselves being disliked more and more. And odds are we won't be the most popular people in the city. Uh, John 15, 18, Jesus warns us. He said, the world hates you. Know that it has hated me before it hated you. What are we supposed to do when people don't like what we proclaim? 
Do we make the road broader? Do we create another door? Absolutely not. We proclaim the exact same message that has continued to be proclaimed throughout the course of humanity that God's method of salvation is the only way. To present anything else is a lie. Uh, Can we tell the world, this is what I believe to be true, this is what they would want us to say, and whatever you choose to believe is also just fine, and and that, that will work as well. Could we say something like that? Absolutely not, because it would be a lie. You're, you're saying that, yes, you, you do believe these things to be true, but you're also affirming, not only tolerating, but approving of their view as well. And this is not what we are supposed to do. Uh, the world wants to say whatever is right for you is right for you, and whatever is right for me is right for me. All opinions on anything are equally valid. Tolerance and approval of everything is what is expected of us today. So you can begin to see the more narrow we present the way to heaven and proclaim Jesus Christ as the one and only way, the more, odds are, we will be hated as Jesus, as the disciples were as well. Now, uh, there was an interview years ago, and I pulled it up again to look at it. I, I'd forgotten how good an example it is on something like this. But the road to heaven is very narrow, and we know this. We, we can see the whole story. We can sit back and see that it is God's Messiah that he was providing to bring us back to him. Verse after verse after verse, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I am the door. He is the only mediator between God and man. Uh, mega church pastor, biggest, pa- biggest uh, church in quotation marks that we have in the United States right now, was interviewed by Larry King Live. This is Joel Osteen, and this is what he says. Uh, Joel Osteen said, he is not sure what happens to people who reject Christ. This is a 2005 interview. I'm just going to read it word for word. Uh, King followed up the question about Jews, Muslims, and other non-Christians. They are wrong, aren't they? So this is a softball that Larry King has thrown up for a Christian, a believer, who is representing the Word of God, representing Jesus Christ, to be able to hit, right? They are wrong, aren't they? Because you believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. This is what Olstein says. Well, I don't know if I believe they're wrong. Think about that for a moment. Well, I don't know... If I believe they're wrong, I believe here's what the Bible teaches. And from the Christian faith, this is what I believe. Do you see some similarities here to what we're talking about today? So he believes it, but he doesn't know if what they believe is actually wrong. But I just think that only God will judge a person's heart. We know that God will judge us. Absolutely, the Bible says. But what does the Bible say about our hearts? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So will God judge hearts? Absolutely, he will judge our hearts. But what he is saying here, he's creating a wider gate, you might say, that it has to do with heart and and feeling and and emotions. And, And he goes on to say, I spent a lot of time in India with my father. I don't know all about their religion, but I know they love God. He's speaking here of another religion that believes in over one million gods, that believes in reincarnation, right? That, that, there, there, that there is no one supreme God who has spoken, created, and provided salvation back to, to him through Jesus Christ. But here he says, I spent a lot of time in India with my father. I don't know all about the religion, but I know they, they love God. And I don't know. I've seen, uh, and I don't know. I've seen their sincerity. Here, what he's relating to, 
getting back to God. Will they be saved or will they not? Will they get to heaven or not? Based on sincerity, uh, being sincere. I could be absolutely sincere that this, this little microphone stand could get me to heaven. Would it get me to heaven in the end? No matter how sincere I am, it will not get me to heaven, right? Your, your faith is only as good as the object of your faith. My faith is in Jesus Christ. Your faith is in Jesus Christ for salvation. So it doesn't matter how sincere a person is. They can be sincerely wrong. So I don't know. Look at this. So I don't know. Uh, I, I know for me and what the Bible teaches, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. So, so here we look at this statement. Uh, Joel Osteen's comments in this interview representing, were they representing the word of God accurately? A pastor from the fastest growing church in the U.S. and one of the fastest growing in the world at that time now is the pastor of the, the biggest church. Again, in parentheses, we'll have to define if it is a true church, if this is being proclaimed. But this is what people are believing. This message will build a big church. In parentheses, it will draw a large number of people to that building to hear something like this proclaimed. It is basically saying, be sincere. God loves everybody. Everyone's on their way to heaven. Smile. And I love you. God loves you. We love you. You're going to win. Go succeed. Is that the gospel? Is that the narrow way that God has given us back to heaven? So this is why we have to be very careful, right, with who we listen to, uh, what books we read as well. Is it proclaiming the absolute truth of God? And here we see by these statements, think about this for a moment. Did he tell them of God's one and only Savior in any of these statements? No. Uh, Did he accurately point the way to the narrow gate that leads to the narrow way back to salvation, to heaven? No, or did he stretch the gates so wide that anything you believe, as long as it's sincerely believed, would actually be okay? Uh, did he remove the bounds of the gate altogether? Think about that. There's no more limits on this gate at all. Uh, or did he even replace the narrow gate sign, think about this for a moment, with the wide gate? Did he totally replace it completely? And instead of saying that Jesus is the only way, that he's completely replaced it to now the road to the gate to destruction, he is calling the right way based on whatever we feel. It, any of the, these things could be true. So, so we look at statements like this, and we have to be very, very careful. Let's look back. Does the culture change the word of God? Absolutely not. Numbers twenty three nineteen. God is not man that he should lie or son of man that he should change his mind has he said and will he not do or has he spoken and will not he fulfill it god's word is his word he is omnipotent he is all-powerful he is omniscient he is all-knowing he does no need to ever change his mind he is not going to change his mind on the method of salvation that he has given isaiah 48 the grass withers the flower fades but the word of our god will stand forever changing times do not change the truth of God. This is something that we must hang our hat on. No matter what is happening in the culture, we don't change the word of God. We proclaim the word of God. It will make people mad. It will make people not want to come possibly to church again. They may not want to be your friend again, but we are called to proclaim the truth of God. This is what we are to do. Jude 1.3 says this, Beloved, Although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend. This is what we're supposed to do. Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. How beautiful. 
This is the message from God. The grass withers, the flower fades, our culture fades and changes up and down. But the word of our God will stand forever. And this is the message that was once for all delivered to the saints. That Jesus Christ has come. The Messiah has come. That all who believe in him shall be rescued, shall be saved, shall have their sins forgiven. And we are to contend for this faith. Not, not to let the culture invade and blend it all together and, and put something else out there that's incorrect. No, we contend for this way, the truth and the life. Uh, let me skip quickly to John chapter 3. I think you're still around John right now. Go back to John chapter 3. And I just want to read a couple more passages. If you're taking notes, if you're highlighting or something to that effect on, on this message today. Uh, exclusivity of Christ. That is, he is the one and only way. All other ways are excluded. I'll give you a few more passages to look at. Uh, John chapter 3, look at verse 16 through 18. Chapter of 16, of course, very common. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18. Uh, Verse 16 is one of the most memorized passages in the whole Bible. For years and years, it was the number one. Verse 18, though, is often uh, not even read and definitely not memorized. Look at verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Is Christianity narrow? The method, the way, the road, the gate to heaven is narrow. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whatever does not believe is condemned already. So here we have simply unbelief in him is rejection, condemnation before an almighty, righteous, holy God. Uh, look down the page just a little bit. John three thirty six. Again, we have whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains in him. So it is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Reject Jesus Christ. God's wrath remains in us. Why would God be mad at us? Why would his anger be against us? Because we've sinned against him. God is holy. God is righteous. We are sinners. We are by nature objects of his wrath. How do we get rid of that wrath? We can't in and of ourselves. But our Savior can. Let me just end with this. How can you know? Which is an important question to ask. That you are on the narrow path. All right, You've gone through the narrow gate. 1 John chapter 5, I have this up here for us today. Verse 12 through 13 says this, Whoever has the Son has life. So this is the question to ask. Do you have the Son? Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. This is extreme comfort for us as a church. For you as a believer, how can we know? Well, we ask that question. Have we gone through the door? Have we gone the trusted in the way, the truth, and the life? He who has the Son has life, eternal life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Or I'll write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's pray. God, thank you for allowing us to open your word up and see that you have clearly proclaimed the way back to you. The way for our sins to be forgiven is through the Savior, Jesus Christ. The only one who is God and man, the only mediator that could go between humanity and God is the one that is God and man. 
who was sinless, who was righteous, who was holy, who died on the cross for the sins of all believers. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is the beautiful news of the gospel. It is narrow, but may we rejoice that you have provided the way back to you. Help us to never be ashamed of that message, but may we proclaim it because it is truth. It is the only way back. And may we never let the culture step in and bully us into changing the message. May we keep it the same, the same gospel that Paul presented to the Galatians. May we keep that gospel the same in our minds and our families and as we present it to our culture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship God, please.